The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. So many people concerned about the economy, wondering what is going to happen and how severely could it impact Arizona? What do we see in the future? So whenever we have to talk about business and economy, we turn to the experts. And there is no better expert than Danny Seiden from the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Uh, Danny, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Good morning. Let's let's talk about. I, I, obviously, I want we want to get into the chip plants and the chip industry coming here. That's going to be a big boost. But overall, looking at the transformation of the economy in Arizona, how well positioned is it to survive whatever's going to happen in twenty twenty three in the economy? You know, Mike, we're in a great position. You know, it's it's it seems contradictory to say that when you're looking at a nationwide potential recession. However, if you go back 10 years where we were a construction-based and, um, re- you know, residential home construction-based co- economy to where we are now, we're a tech manufacturing economy, it, we are so diverse. We are positioned to come through this much, much better than we were 10 years ago. And there are still a lot of jobs to go around. And unemployment is still really low. And these are high-paying jobs as well. So we feel really good about Arizona's ability to withstand a recession as opposed to other states. Now, the numbers that I've been told as far as construction goes of homes, because that's a big issue in Arizona. Home prices remain high. Rent remains high because of a shortage, even though we've seen a softening of the market. Back in 07, around that time frame, we were building about 65,000 homes a year in Arizona. And we're at about half of that or maybe a little under half of that now. Uh, Is that going to have an adverse effect because home prices are going to remain very high as long as the demand is that high, correct? Yeah, Mike, there's no question. We need to build more homes, and we need to think outside of just building single-family homes. We need to build multifamily housing, multi-use housing to address the fact that our state is maturing, that we are becoming more and more modern and more and more urban. So I think there's a lot of different housing uh, models we need to look at to uh, address the fact that you and I are talking in the largest, the fastest-growing county in the country right now. All of that really matters, but you're, you're correct. Housing is, a, is an issue, but one that I think we're going to rise and meet uh, that challenge. There was a study that just came out from the Common Sense Institute that had a lot of good ideas on how to work with local governments to get them to approve different kinds of permitting to get more housing um, down the pipeline. So we're going to be looking at that study, seeing what we can do with the legislature and just moving the state forward. Do you work with the legislator, legislature and other bodies, you know, other cities and counties when it comes to the policy on zoning and the other things that could expedite these projects? Oh, 100%. You know, there was a, there's a study committee that's been going on right now on this very topic. So we're paying close attention. We always have someone in attendance in person or virtual to see what's being said and get a sense of what can be done and what the art of the possible is. Obviously, we want to work with the local governments as much as possible. If something needs to be done statewide, we'll take a look at that as well. But everyone acknowledges that there needs, there's a need for more houses right now, which, again, is a good thing. Growth is a, pro- a great problem to have when you're looking at a nationwide recession. Um, the investment in the chip plant in, in, in the Northwest Valley has gone from $12 billion to $40 billion. What does that investment mean long term? And long term, what does that industry look like in Arizona? Well, well, Mike, I mean, it's a big deal. We're talking about the near largest foreign direct investment in the United States in history with $40 billion. And I have to tell you, when you go out there, I had the fortunate um, opportunity to be invited to be out there with the governor and the president, the governor-elect. When you go out there and you look at what that site looks like, you can tell they're not going to stop at just this $40 billion investment. There's a lot of space and a lot of room to grow even more fast. 
But let's talk long-term besides just TSMC's investment in the Valley. You are bringing a semiconductor ecosystem into our state. So that is anywhere from, I've heard, 13,000 to 15,000 jobs just in the supplier side. Those are small businesses that produce the, the chemicals, that produce the fabrication materials, the packing materials. That whole supply chain is being onshored right here in Arizona. And that's a fantastic thing for our future because this is advanced tech manufacturing, which jobs pay about twice that of the uh, of their comp- comparable parts in the private sector. This is a big deal and a good thing for the state of Arizona. We are, I mean, we've joked that you should add a 6C to our economy and have it be called chips because between Intel's $20 billion investment, which you should never forget about, they've been making chips there for 40 years, and TSMC, we are the premier state for semiconductors in the country. And that matters to everything from what you're putting in your refrigerator or your car or your cell phone to national defense as well, national security. And that's all being made right here in Arizona. And that's just the chip industry itself. But if you look at that land, and I used to live up in that part of the valley, if you look at that land where the 303 cuts west uh, across there where that chip plant is, what is what that's going to look like in the next 15 or 20 years in both commercial industry, industrial industry, and residential is going to be a massive growth. Oh, absolutely, Mike. You, you know, you talk to people who've been around Arizona a while, and you can just go back 10 years, and they would say, that's not what Scottsdale Road used to look like. It used to be dirt, or, or this or that. That is what that area used to be known as Biscuit Flats is going to be like. It is going to have population centers. It's going to have the the ripple effect economy, so things that um, address the 4,500 employees at the TSMC plant, the 13,000 suppliers, and then also, you know, the tens of thousands of construction jobs that are going to be required to build the plant as well as build the housing to go along with it. So it's really exciting. And you're right, that will look completely different. Um, So people living up in the Northwest Valley are going to have a completely different neighborhood on their hands. And I think that's a great thing. So from your perspective, with the direction the economy in Arizona has been heading and is heading with these higher paying, high tech jobs, what is the weakness? What needs to change? What do we need to improve to keep all of this stuff going in the right direction? Well, well, first, we didn't get here by accident. We got here by good policy being passed at the legislature um, and signed by Governor Doug Ducey. And I think Governor like Hobbs has shown a strong commitment to wanting to see that momentum keep going. So one, we have to protect our gains and protect the competitive environment that we've created here. We have to continue to invest in our universities. One of the reasons why we can get a TSMC is because ASU is about to graduate over 30,000 engineers over the next few years. That is making them one of the premier schools for engineering in the country. So we have the workforce that TSMC and Intel need right here in our state. So we need to continue those investments in the universities, the new economy initiative, and also with our community colleges, because there's a lot of line workers at the, um, at the level that just need certificate programs. And we've, we've, we've funded programs like Drive 48, where 60% of all Lucid employees have come from. I, I think in general, it's these continued investments in workforce, talent, pipeline, and also keeping our state competitive. That means low taxes, low regulatory issues. And a lot of those jobs, I work uh, pretty closely with one of the CTEDs here with EVIT in, in the East Valley. I know the board, some, a bunch of people on the board, and I think that's going to be such a valuable tool also for high school students choosing which direction they're going to go to get them into the pipeline and the workforce a little bit faster. Oh, absolutely. EVIT's one of the best examples of a CTED that we have. And, you know, that's career and technical education. And that's where kids right now, I mean, there's a big decision to be made. Do I want to go the college route or do I want to go the trade route? And the trade route pays a lot of money. And if you're entrepreneurial, you can make 
a lot, a lot of money on the trade route right now. So we need to do a better job making sure that our CTEDs and JTEDs are funded. The legislature has put more and more money in them over the years, recognizing this uh, this movement. And I think we'll see more of that in the future. I think the CTEDs and JTEDs are going to continue to grow in their importance and value. And Eva's a great example. Thanks for bringing that up. You know, Danny, I, I always appreciate talking to you because the economy means so much to me. I did. I came from the trades and I took very good care of me my whole life. But I love talking to somebody that has such a well-rounded view of the economy in Arizona, and I hope you'll come back as the next governor gets sworn in and, and see if we keep that momentum up. I'd love to get your opinions on it. You got Mike. I'm optimistic for Governor Hobbs. Uh, so far, she has said all the right things about the economy, so the business community is eager to work with her. Um, you know, we'll see what that looks like next year, next session, but you're right. We have to keep this momentum going and protect our state's economy. All right. Thanks, Danny. Thanks, Mike. All right, that's Danny Seiden from the Arizona Chamber of Commerce and Industry. Good news for Arizona's economy moving forward. High-paying jobs coming here, people looking to retrain. If you've got kids or grandkids, the future looks pretty bright for them. That's what this is all about. Coming up in a moment, we are going to talk about the elections because lawsuits have been filed. Are we finally going to get some answers? Talk about that coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A former candidate for Governor Carrie Lake on Friday filed a lawsuit asking courts to set aside her electoral loss to Democrat Katie Hobbs and declare her the winner. Um, also, uh, Republican AG candidate Abe Hamaday seeks to eliminate some votes and add others in a new election lawsuit. Um, there are a lot of people that are upset about this, and I will say to you, there's nothing about this that upsets me at all. This is exactly how the process should work. If they believe that they believe that they were cheated, if they believe that there was something done intentionally, misconduct is the is the verbiage in the Kerry Lake headline. They should take the evidence they have and go to court. And then all of us should abide by what the court says. This is the way it's supposed to work. It's the conjecture that I never liked. It's the idea of saying we all know that this was rigged and we got this was rigged and that was rigged and you bring no proof forward. To me, that's where this is where it all lies. But then everybody has to know that this is how the system works. And when the courts make their decision, we abide by the court's decisions. This has been the problem forever. It doesn't matter what the courts say. Yeah, courts get it wrong sometimes. We all know that courts get it wrong. We disagree with the decisions. But this is the system we have. The system we have mandates – There are ways to handle things, and you can go out and you can fundraise and you can yell and scream and stomp your feet, or you can bring a lawsuit and you can let the courts decide, and that's what they are doing, and that's what they are supposed to do. Now, um, with no disrespect to Kerry Lake at all, if, if any either of these candidates have a, a, a leg to stand on, I would say it was Abe Hamaday with the – what was it less than 600 votes, I believe it was, or 800 votes that separated him with, with Chris Mays. And so it was a very, very small margin, and we understand that the voters that turned out on Election Day were slanted very well, very held, fell very heavily for Republicans. So we know that that's how that day went. Could that have gotten him over the hump if it had been handled or done properly? Can they prove so many disenfranchised voters? What does the system from there mean? Um, is there a mechanism? The courts may say there is no mechanism in the law to overturn an election and declare someone else the winner. But we've got to go and let we got to let this play through. It's got to be done quickly. There's 
No doubt about that. They've got to get this done very quickly because we are sprinting toward when everybody needs to be sworn in. But I think that bring your evidence to court, let everybody see the evidence, come to a decision, and let's move forward. That's the way it should go. Now, the question is, will it end? Will it end with whatever the decision is? If the courts come out and say there isn't any evidence or there isn't enough evidence to to change anything with the election, will the candidates then say we are going to live with what the courts decided? Or does it go on again? My biggest problem with the election denial part of this, and I don't say election denier as an insult. I say it as an identifier. It's just a, an observation with the people that denied 2020 was real and thought 2020 was stolen and everybody cheated. And the same with 2022. If I'm just saying if you continue down that road, if that's the direction that you focus on. You're going to see more losses, and that's what I think candidates need to wrestle with. Yes, we absolutely need to make sure that the vast majority of voters understand that our elections are fair. We all have to feel comfortable with that. You're never going to please everyone. There are still going to be people that don't believe that it's true, that it's a rigged game. But what you have to be able to show the vast majority of voters is that you can trust the results of an election. There's a difference between being upset with how long an election takes to count. There's a lot we can do to change that, I believe. We can do a lot of different things to change how we vote so that it's expedited. I think that there are a lot of people that vote early, that showed up on election day, didn't trust the mail, and dropped their ballots off, that if they could have cast their ballot themselves that day, would have been satisfied that their signature was verified, that it was them who voted, that they're only putting one ballot inside the machine, that's it, and that it would would cause a lot of the problems to go away, not to mention that In that drop of votes, when they start showing up the votes that were cast on Election Day, that those people's votes would be counted and you would see results much faster. That seems like an easy fix to me. Why well, say easy? It seems like the most simple fix. I don't think any of it's easy. It would take a lot of work on Election Day. Because you would have a lot of people showing up that have already filled out their ballot that would have to have a line where they could make sure their ballots were tabulated. But what we're dealing with here is about election integrity. That's different. So I was in favor of an audit. I didn't like the way the Arizona audit ended up going, but I was in favor of an audit to get answers for people that thought they deserved answers. What I am in favor now is let's make sure people understand. Lay the evidence out. If you have evidence, let everybody see it and let people make decisions on whether or not there was cheating that went on to the point that it changed election results. I think that's fair. And we'll see. We shall. We are absolutely going to see how that plays out. We do something called bird's eye view with Ron Wolfley. The Cardinals play tonight. We'll get a preview of the voice with the voice of the Arizona Cardinals. Ron Wolfley coming up in just a couple of moments. Broomhead talks Cardinals with color analyst and former Cards fullback Ron Wolfley. Oh, my digging the chili of what the Cardinals are mixing up. Bird's Eye View, brought to you by AZ Valley Windows, Arizona's most trusted window replacement company since 2004. All right, let's get down to it. Ron Wolfley joins me in studio. Wolf, welcome back. Yeah, good to be here, bro. <laughs> let's uh, let's preview what we're going to see tonight. Bill Belichick, 
Monday Night Football, that's a tough hill to climb for any team. Especially when Bill Belichick has, what, 11 days to actually prepare for you right now. The last time they played was a Thursday night game, of course. This is Bill Belichick preparing for the Arizona Cardinals. And I would also say, too, that this is a very desperate New England Patriots team that is coming in here on Monday night. They're still playing for something. Now, I know you could say the Arizona Cardinals are still playing. They're not technically eliminated from the playoffs. That is true, especially with the Giants' loss and the Seahawks' loss. But the percentage chance is so low that it's really a moot point. So what do you look for if you're – I mean, you were in that locker room for so many years. What do you look for as a teammate or what do you look for as a coach with where the Cardinals are and what the season – how it looks like the season's going to end? What do you need to see tonight? Yeah, you know what? um, It's going to be interesting because they've got five games left, Brew, and – I really do believe you're going to see the best version of this team with the players they have right now. Now, keep in mind when I say that, you've got 80% of your starting offensive line that is not playing. That is not playing. 80% of your offensive line. I say this over and over and over again. It's so important, Brew, but you have to understand it. Your offensive line doesn't need to be the best offensive line in the National Football League. They just need to be good enough to allow your talent to allow your skill to do what they do. And that's that's been very, very difficult for this team because they are on their, I believe it's their ninth iteration, their ninth different starting unit. In what, 13 games coming up here? It's that crazy for them right now. So, you know what? I'm looking for the the best version of this team over the next five games because you've got two types of veteran that is inside that locker room right now. you got a veteran that doesn't want to be here next year. So, you know what he wants to do? He wants to go out and he wants to put something down on tape. He wants to show something on tape right now, something that might be able to get him signed somewhere else. The other veteran that wants to be here is going to be campaigning to be here. He's going to do it on the field. He's going to do it off the field as well. But these five games will have an awful lot to do with him coming back next year. So I think we're going to see a focused especially coming off the bye. I think we're going to see a very focused team. When you take a look at the injuries the Cardinals have, but then you look at the San Francisco 49ers playing their quarterback number three in Brock Purdy, Cardinal fans, casual fans like myself, look at that and think, okay, if they can pull that off with their third quarterback, yeah. what's going on? Yeah, you know, yeah, but you know when you look at that roster of the San Francisco 49ers, man, and they are loaded. They are loaded, especially on the defense, that front seven, I think, is probably the best box, the best front seven in the National Football League, so that defense is smothering. They're able to run the ball as well. They're very, very physical, especially at the point of attack. Christian McCaffrey has changed everything for them. Debo Samuel is still rolling right now, plus George Kittle, of course, the best stud tight end in the National Football League. Brock Purdy, though. Brock Purdy, a local product here. Perry High School. Perry High School. He's got a chance, man. He's got a chance to go out there and manage a game. I will say this. I was very, very encouraged with Brock Purdy and how he played. And I am rooting for Brock Purdy. Yet at the same time, the harsh reality is this. With each snap that he puts down on tape, a defensive coordinator and defensive coordinators across the league get a snap closer to trying to figure him out. But he made some really good throws. 
There Great were a couple throws. of throws he made were amazing. And this is a guy that's been had no expectation of playing this season at all. Yes. No, he, he did. He played very, very well for them to go out as an offense and score 35 points. you got to be kidding me. Against a good defense. Uh, uh, absolutely. And there's no doubt about it. The 49ers right now are rolling. Is Brock Purdy going to be a better option than Jimmy G? I, I don't know. We'll have to see. It seems hard to think that that is, that is a possibility. And the reason why I say that, Brew, is because, listen, this guy was the last player drafted in the draft. Mr. Irrelevant is what they like to call him right here. A seventh-round pick as a quarterback right now. Um, You know, once again, the pressure. At some point in time, you would think the pressure of trying to quarterback this team when you don't know if Jimmy G is going to come back. They think maybe he might actually come back at some point in time, but that, that would be deep into the playoffs. And if you were actually going to get deep into the playoffs with Brock Purdy as your quarterback, why would you rush Jimmy G back and replace Brock Purdy, the guy that's got you there? You wouldn't. So what does it look like in the NFL when you get a quarterback like this, a kid that plays a game like he did, it's just one game. But if he carries on playing really well, do other teams start calling San Francisco trying to get them? Do they, do they try to get it? There's a real possibility. Yeah, there's a real possibility that will happen the more he puts down on tape. Um, yeah, I'm sure John Lynch, the general manager, and Kyle Shanahan, of course, the head coach for the 49ers, they'll take phone calls on him all day long. But will they move him if in fact he continues to play well and show what he's shown um that's a whole different question it's a, it's such an interesting world in the NFL because it, it demands success immediately. It is what have you done for me lately? And and we look at the the Jets. Sorry, Julie. Look at the Jets winning, losing two games in a row, and it, 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 how the attitude has changed about yeah. this team. No, it is, man. It does. Um, it's a situation where that confidence level. I say it all the time, but it's the truth, Brew. Confidence is the currency of competition. It is. You buy and sell performance. Performances based on your confidence as an individual and your team collectively. So let's talk one last question about the Cardinals going into tonight's game. Um, what what do you think, looking at Belichick, the way this team plays, how they are, keys to success for the Cardinals? If they're going to win the game, what do they got to do? Yeah, the very first thing they've got to do is protect Kyler Murray because that is the one thing the Patriots do. They are very, very good at getting to your quarterback. Number three in sacks and more specifically, number three three in sacks per attempt, which is a better way to actually measure how often a team is going after a quarterback and actually getting pressure on him. Um, We know that Kyler Murray has had a rough season, of course, and it doesn't get better when there's a lot of pressure around him. The, The Patriots have two guys coming off the edge. They have Matthew Judon, who is a power pack. He's a bull without horns. And then they've got Josh Uche, who is more of a speed guy coming off the other. They get after the quarterback very, very well. So job number one, if the Cardinals are going to win tonight, they've got to go ahead and protect Kyler Murray. They have to take shots down the field, and that means you better protect your quarterback. Number two, they got to shut down Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre Stevenson, six foot, 230 pounds. You ever try to tackle a guy <laughs> six foot, 230 pounds? Let me tell you something right now. It's very difficult to get your eyebrows underneath his eyebrows. 
Strauss. Very difficult to do that. And he's a strong bull of a guy in terms of running the ball. He runs the ball, and he also is a very good receiver. They throw the ball to him a lot. They got to stop him and shut him down. And then it always comes down to turnovers, man. How many how many takeaways can you generate, and how many giveaways will you actually generate? You don't want to give Bill Belichick um, any any turnovers whatsoever because he usually, his teams usually capitalize on that. So those three things in particular, Brew. As always, man, it's great to talk with you, and I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion after the game of how it was. Yeah, you know what? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Wolf. I okay, appreciate bro. it. That's Ron hey, Wolfley. Merry Christmas. You too, man. Merry Christmas. Ron Wolfley from the Wolf and Luke Show on Arizona Sports. Coming up in a moment, school choice. We're going to talk about that and shift gears to that in just a couple of seconds. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Appreciate you being here. A few minutes left in this hour. School choice picking up steam across the country, and there's a reason for that. But there is some good news in Arizona school systems. As we've talked about before, the goal for everyone is that we get our kids a solid education, that they are able to have the basic education as they move through. They're carrying another step or they're, you know, they're going up another rung in the ladder of their education and prepared for further, you know, later on in life, whether it's going to be education for another job, a career change, higher education, whatever it is that they are prepared for whatever comes their way when they get older. Here's a couple of headlines. Higley schools get higher grades, state grades, than other East Valley districts. Chandler schools excel in the first grading in two years. So this is good news as some of the districts are are starting to show good results. Um, If you remember, there were those camps that were going on this summer. That were uh, not summer school, but summer camps where kids were starting to catch up or they were trying to catch some kids up and the basics, you know, third grade for reading, eighth grade for math are key times in, an, in a student's life where you up until third grade. You learn to read. After third grade, you read to learn. So we have really got to focus on making sure they have those basic skills. Um, it is abundantly clear in my life that had I not had the elementary education that I had, I would not have been able to transition to either of the two careers I've had in my life. I've only had two careers in my life. I was an electrician and uh, an electrical contractor. And then I was I did this, both of which required a lot of writing, a lot of reading, um, and you have to be able to comprehend what you're reading. And so if I did not have the basics so that I could learn as I went along, once I chose that, you know, I, I chose a path, um, I would have been in deep trouble. And I, that's the one thing that's become a passion for me is looking in that direction. It's one of the reasons why so many people in Arizona are in favor of school choice, the expansion of the ESA program, because in the end. I know that even though there's a lot of people out there that disagree with the ESA expansion, but in the end, we all want the same thing. We want kids having an opportunity at a quality education. The expansion of the ESA program, and this is the story of, at, on the Daily Caller about school choices picking up steam, is because I don't think – I know it's not parents – Disliking teachers, what it is is about control. And parents want to make sure 
that their children are getting the best education possible. And there are some people in the public education sector that brought this on themselves. You look no further. The Scottsdale Unified School District, I'm just, you know, I hate throwing people under the bus, but their former chairman and what him and his father did, doxing parents who dared disagree with them. You have a a Chandler School District for a while doing the same thing, not doxing, but going after parents that dared disagree with them. uh, The National School Board Association calling parents um, domestic terrorists asking, requesting that the FBI start looking into parents that dare question public education. We've seen teachers over, I think it's around 60,000 teachers have left teachers unions nationally. People, teachers just want to be educators. They don't want to be politicians. They don't want to be involved. They don't want to be uh, involved politically. They want to be able to teach. And parents want to be able to make sure their children are getting the education that they envision for their children. Um, You know, all, and, and the push Pushback has been so enormous in some places. This is what's motivated this change. All of these parents that have decided that they're going to run for school boards, money being thrown into school board elections that like never before, because more and more parents are seeing the urgency in early education for their children, quality education for their children, and working with parents. The other side of this is there are so many teachers that are begging parents to be involved. They want parents to be involved. And when they're not, this is what happens. And so now they're going to get more parental involvement, and that's going to be a good thing for a well-rounded education. Whether a parent homeschools their child, it's a micro school, whatever it is, whatever they choose that is best for their child, if outcomes continue to go in the right direction, it's going to be hard for anybody to argue. Now, is it too soon to say that it's a school choice that's causing some of these changes? Yeah, it's too soon to say that, without a doubt. But we now know that school districts will be challenged because they will have to, they get the letter grade, we're going to have to see test results. And schools are going to be looked at differently because there will be other options. And I always think that competition breeds excellence. And and this is doing nothing more than creating more competition. Now, I, I I use the restaurant analogy, and I know it's a kind of a poor one, but this this valley is known as a food town now. If you look around at Scottsdale and the Arcadian neighborhood in downtown Phoenix, with the choices that people have of great places to eat, you don't survive if you're just a good place. The competition is fierce. That's what breeds excellence, and that's what we want in education. We want it to be a fierce competition. Competition of excellent education for young people. And hopefully that's the direction we're headed. I was happy to see the stories about the movement in education and the direction that it's taking. Um, interesting question just after 10 o'clock. Um, speaking of changing and, and kind of morphing into what the community wants, we're going to talk about churches. Why is attendance in church down once again? And what are churches doing to, to advance?